You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning. It is good to see everybody today. Glad you're all with us to study the Word of God and to bring glory to His name through prayer and song and the other things we do in worship. It is actually those things today we'll be studying. Today we have our first of the month series, and we uh, the Back to Basics series. Today from Acts 2, the text that says, And he added to their number such as were being saved. And so the Lord added people. We'll find out to what he added them and why. And what those people now together did. So far, and this is the logic and progression of the series, we started the new year with Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. The man Jesus, born in Nazareth, was the Messiah. He is our Savior because He is God in the flesh with us, come to save us. He is the Lord of all things and He is our Master. We then talked about those who believe in him and how we are to have saving faith in him. And we have, of course, there's a number of things to which salvation is ascribed in the New Testament. It's a good number. But the most common and primary one is faith. And then we talked about the people who then believed that and came to him uh, with accompanying things, such as baptism and repentance, confession, and the like. We then talked about how those people then turned their lives to the things of God that we are now motivated and, and directed by the two great commandments of, of fully loving God and loving neighbor as ourself. And so this morning then we come to the next part of that and really these, first, these three lessons after saving faith could have been in any uh, order, uh, but we took the, uh, the life that we have now directed uh, toward God and others as first. Now we'll have the a life that we have together. Uh, for we are not the only ones who uh, have so committed ourselves to Christ and confessed our faith in Him. And so we now have relationship with God and with each other because others have done this same thing. Our next lesson will be washed, justified, and sanctified, which goes back and reviews what happens with saving faith and really the change of life toward God and how we, uh, he justifies us and how we're to live a sanctified life in him. Uh, that'll be the next lesson. But this lesson is what is told us about our life with one another in the relationship with fellow believers. And as I say, any of those three lessons on the great commandments, the, the, this one on the church and the next one on a sanctified and justified life, they could have been in any order. They, it's all of a piece. It's, uh, sometimes uh, there are things that flow in a logical order, one, two, and three. But sometimes you get to such a big thing like faith in Christ, and instead of then it's, it's one, two, and three, it's three things, and then those are five things, and it just it's all of a piece and not quite so uh, sequential. So we're going to turn back to the text where we first have Christ and salvation in his name preached. 
Jesus preached himself, obviously, to the Jews as the Messiah. And the one whom they should believe, and believing they should have life in his name. But nobody really fully understood that. And I don't think it was the design of God that they could understand that completely and fully. They could have got, I am with him, I'm with that guy. I'm, they could have got that, certainly. But the fullness of what that meant was not announced until after his death for us and his resurrection and glorification of going back to the Father. And then he told the apostles, you guys wait in Jerusalem. We're studying that on Acts on Wednesday night. And in a short while, you're going to get power from on high and you're going to be my witness to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, that witness that they had of Christ began to be proclaimed in Acts 2. We won't today read the part about the many languages, the drawing of so many together so they could hear that message. Uh, For the people who were interested in spiritual things, there weren't going to be too many on the evening of Pentecost going, oh man, that happened down at the temple. I I, I missed it. I sure wish I would have known something was going on. God caused something to be going on. And all who were interested and in Jerusalem had an opportunity to hear that lesson And that lesson that the apostles preached in the name of Christ, preaching Christ, salvation in his name, concluded in this wise, Acts 2.36 beginning, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Well, now comes the conviction. When they heard this, they were pierced in their heart because they know they'd been part of the people that rejected him. Many of them had an active role in parts of that. There are very few who had fully received Christ in his time of ministry as they should. And even those who did as they should, they knew they were part of a people in a community, in a society where their leaders had taken him to the cross. And oh my, as Peter would say in the next sermon, Acts 3, you guys have killed the prince of life. Imagine not just the charge that you have killed the prince of life and asked for murder instead, but imagine understanding I had a part in that. We we often read the charge being made uh, of these things because people were rejecting it, but many were not rejecting it. Certainly not all were rejecting it. This is the response of those who understood that and who received it, and they were under conviction and condemnation as a result of that, and they understood it, and they they didn't want to rebel against that. They wanted to repent of that. They wanted to uh, come back to God in spite of that. And they said, what can we do? What should we do? In verse 38, Peter said, repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They'd already been prepared by John and Jesus' early gospel preaching of repent and be baptized for remission of sin. That's what John had taught. Uh, That's what Jesus had taught. And now we see it taught again in exactly the same words. uh, uh, Repent and be baptized, except we've added some words in the middle of it. In the name of Jesus Christ. So John baptized with a baptism of repentance. Now they're baptizing with a baptism that does have repentance as, as part of the whole of it, but it's a confession baptism, a, con, a confession of Christ's baptism, not just a confession of sin 
Baptism, yes, we're coming to Christ because we're sinful. Why else would we come, right? The, the, the righteous don't need salvation, do they? The just don't need justifying. It's the sinner that needs justifying. It's the, it's the guilty who need the pardon. And so the, the, there's an, an inherent admission of guilt in the entire enterprise. There's a change that is expected. And it's in the name of Christ that this is offered. And we have new blessings given with it. The gift of the Holy Spirit. That's not our topic today. But that's a thing they hadn't had before. That's something that John did not preach. And Jesus did not preach back in John 4 and in Matthew 3 and the beginning of the Gospels. And so, it's a baptism that's new in Christ's name. With new blessing and a new fullness to it. And not just for those Jews uh, there, it, it, Jesus said, I'd come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. John only preached to the Jews. But this promise, this promise that this forgiveness of sin and gift of the Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Now, I don't even think Peter realized how much was going to be included in that, how much heavy lifting far off was going to do, and as many as the Lord our God should call, but this is going to end up being a universal offer to which we now Two continents and two millennia away, we preach and we've received and we depend upon with our souls. And so, here is the beginning of these great things. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved. With King James will put that reflexive even a little stronger. Save yourselves from this perverse generation now we're going to study the response for the rest of the time so then those who received his word so if you received the words preached in the name of christ the words of christ the words resulting in baptism in christ and the gift that christ would give of the holy spirit those who received that then were baptized and then a bit of a phrase that kind of hangs out there and grammatically you try to check and and, and uh uh, count up your, your, your uh, antecedents for the pronouns. That day were added about 3,000 souls. Well, added to what? Added to what? Well, we'll find out at the end of, uh, of, the, of the reading where they were added, but there were 3,000 that very first day added as a result of the teaching. And now, on to, as I say, the uh, main part of the lesson, this part that talks about the fellowship of believers or a life in Christ together. That's what these people now have. From the start, they had a life in Christ together and a fellowship of believers. What does a fellowship of believers look like? Verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many signs and wonders were taking place to the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day 
those who are being saved. And so here we have that adding again. It's adding to their number. Adding to the number of what? Well, he's adding the saved to their number. And so what we have is we have the, the adding saved to the saved. The saved to the saved. The adding those together is going to make what we are commonly going to call the church. And so those with the true faith, those with devotion to God in these various acts, in their various treatments of one another, the various attitudes that they had toward the whole enterprise, and we even have in this text what God felt about this and how God approved it, and he caused this whole Christian enterprise to prosper and to grow. Well, if we look back and study verse 42, beginning, and we look at it now with some, uh, some detail, uh, we will note that what they were doing there at first sure looks a lot like what we're doing now. What do they have in verse 42? It said they, had the, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Let's look at those. I didn't put them quite in the same order, but uh, let's look at those four things. First, we note that they devoted themselves to teaching. This is what we're to do. We're to devote ourselves to the teaching. I don't see it here, but I've seen it at other places. Where there are folks who uh, continually only come to part of a worship service. I do happen to know, actually, uh, not too far away from here, I know a fellow, uh, he belongs to a, a denominational church where uh, they're known to have reasonably good preaching. But he can't stand their praise band. So he, he always goes to worship when the praise band is getting done. I got a better solution for you, friend, than that. But imagine, you just, you, I can't stand the music. I'll just go when, they're not, I'll go when that part's done. Well, I don't think that's, that's quite the way. But I've known others, and again, habitually, I've known some brethren who after the Lord's Supper, they're out. They're there for the early singing. So I guess the music in this place is not a, wouldn't be objectionable. But they, they don't stay for the preaching. They commonly don't stay for the preaching. Now, I, it is one thing if uh, I preach a little long, not that I ever do, because uh, it's never too long, is it? But it's one thing if I see people about five minutes into start getting a little antsy in their seat, and a couple of them are looking at each other, and they're looking at their watch, and then two minutes before noon, they left. Not the greatest thing in the world, but that is not the same thing, right? So you realize these people have some schedule. I have an idea, a clue what their schedule is, but they have a schedule conflict with the end of worship time. And if somebody leaves like that, I assume, some, okay, something important came up. I, I don't know what it is, but if you've ever done that, you've never heard me complain about that, right? I don't think you have. But what if you continually, you know, that, this, that just now really wasn't trying to complain about it. But what if you continually just, oh, Jay's up, I'm out. I've, I've known some people like that. Jay's up, I'm out. And it wasn't just me. I could have taken it personally. I, I, I don't take, y'all know me, I don't I take things personally. But, you know, somebody else got up, they were out. So I don't think it was just me. It might have been me, but it wasn't just me. They were out for, at others. And I've been to places where, uh, I've visited and I've seen people do that. I remember uh, one of our relatives, extended family, 
wife of one of the elders. We were visiting with, with their family and worshiped with them. And a couple of families got up and did that. And afterwards, she was telling us as we were going to, to lunch, she said, yeah, they always do that. It's like, well, do you, do you place part of this, of these acts that the apostles have, is more important than the others? Could you say, like the early church, you're devoted to the teaching? Would seem not. Well, this church was devoted to the teaching of the apostles. That's the first thing they were devoted to. And let me ask you, how else today would we know Christ? Is there any way to know Christ but the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine? That is our conduit and connection to God. That is God speaking to us. There's a great importance in prayer of us speaking to God. What if I only spoke to him and I didn't listen when he spoke to me? That'd be a problem. Of course, what if I always let him speak and I never responded back? That'd be a problem too, wouldn't it? Can you imagine any kind of relationship where only one person talks and the other person never talks back, never responds? Or can you imagine where one talks and the other never listens? No, in a healthy relationship, there's reciprocal communication between us and the Heavenly Father. It's a delivery of His teaching and doctrine through the inspired message and our response of prayer and confession. This is how this works. So they devoted themselves to the teaching. This is what the church would do continually. Paul would tell Timothy to, uh, when he was teaching about his gospel, he was to hold to the gospel to what, and to avoid whatever was contrary to sound teaching, verse 71, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God to which I've been entrusted. So against everything contrary to sound teaching, and how do you establish sound teaching? According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. He would tell Timothy in the second letter, so retain the standard of sound words which you've heard of me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul would tell the church at Thessalonica, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you were doing. Encourage, we urge your brethren to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. And so there's continual teaching. There's a continual devotion to the things of God. And so when there's worship that's bereft of the word, there is a problem. We also find they were breaking bread. Seems familiar. Still got the taste of the grape juice in my mouth. Well, why? Well, we do this like they did. They broke bread. And it's the people breaking bread. They're in the temple. Now, there's been the, the figure of the Lord's Supper in the temple there for a millennia and a half. The priests have been putting the showbread on the table, leaving it there in the presence of God for a week, and when replacing it with fresh, then they'd eat the old. They've been doing that since the beginning of the law of Moses. But now all are eating of the memorial of Christ. They're all eating, and they're all drinking. Again, the figures of that were just across the courtyard at the other side of the temple. There were drink offerings being offered. There was showbread on the table. But now the church is doing this, and the churches were urged to continue. In 1 Corinthians 11, there's a lengthiest teaching to the churches on the Lord's Supper when they got it wrong. Paul said, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. Rhetorically, clearly it's implied it should have been. 
For each is having his own supper first, and others hungry, another drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in for things like that? And why are you shaming those who have nothing? And then he goes on to talk about receiving the Lord's Supper from the Lord and telling what the Lord did that night and what the churches ought to do in remembrance of Christ. So they were breaking bread. Also tells us that they were praying. Now again, is there praying in the temple? We note the uniquely Christian aspect of this. The prayers the priests were saying, those things which they would say at the morning and evening sacrifices, those things which somebody would read out at the hours of prayer, those scripted prayers, and fine and good prayers, I know they were, that, that was still going on. And the brethren were there at those hours. There's a couple of different times here in the early part of the book of Acts. It's clear that they're there, the brethren are there at the hours of prayer. But they're also having prayers now in the name of Christ. Because what is it that Christ said to do? He told the apostles three times in John, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it. And he told us through the apostles that all that we do in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord. So we do the prayers by his authority and we do it in his name, uh, not just the prayers of all those old prayers, those prayers of the Old Testament especially some of the Psalms and the like, how instructive are they to us? And when we see, we see, especially in the Psalms, when we see Christ as the fulfillment of those things wished for, it, it gives a new life, but it's a new thing. The Christian's use of the Psalms is new. It's different than the Old Testament. And so is the prayers. And so we have over here, we have these, these brethren in the temple regularly, but they're doing a new thing. It's clearly rooted in the old, but it's a new thing happening over there. And then it says that they were having fellowship. I don't exactly know what that word fellowship in that context includes. I don't know if there's any particular action or if it was these actions. But we have three of the five acts of worship. The, the only, uh, you know, we don't have in this list here of Acts 2.42, we don't have singing in the list, and we don't have contribution. It sure seems the contribution is covered in the next section, though. And so this, this fellowship in Koinonia might refer to their singing together, although that might be a bit of a stretch. I think it's most likely their everything, their attitude, and all their actions of togetherness, of community, and of sharing. You know, these people have been going to the temple all their life, but there's a new impetus to it now. There's a new thing in it now when they come and they meet together with Christians in Christ's name. So they're having fellowship. Well, in all this, we see that God was approving. God was approving. They were feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. Imagine if you're there for the beginning of the consummation of the ages. You're there on the ground floor the first days of the church that's in Jesus Christ. Of all the things the Messiah had, was intending to do, bringing a people together in his name to God, that was one of the big ones. And here are the first several thousand of that. What will it eventually be an innumerable throng. But at this time, it's a small enough group they could all meet in one place. Okay, even if it was a, the, uh, the courtyard of the temple, which is several acres in size, okay? It's, it's not like, they are no longer the 120 in the upper room, right? But they are still all able to meet in, the, it's, it's the largest meeting area in Jerusalem. 
but they're able to all be there. Imagine being there for the ground floor of that. How awesome that would be. And in addition, the apostles are doing many wonders and signs. How many is many? What kind of things would they have been doing? I don't know what they were doing, but I'm pretty sure like Jesus' miracles, they were kind and compassionate and they were necessary for the people who received them. I'm sure they were emblematic of, of some kind of spiritual victory over things like Jesus making lame to walk, he makes us to walk. Jesus giving the blind sight and in, in Christ we can now see. Jesus makes us hear and he was giving the deaf their hearing back. So I'm sure they were emblematic miracles and I'm sure they were compassionate. I'm sure they were most helpful. But among all things, I do know for a fact what they were doing. And what those miracles were doing was showing that God was behind this exercise that God approved what they were doing. Like it says in Hebrews of the word, looking backward to the time when this was happening, the word was first spoken through the Lord. It was confirmed by those who heard, God testifying with them with signs and wonders and miracles and gift of the Holy Spirit. So this was testimony of God's approval. So when we talk about the church and disciples being together in a fellowship of believers, this is approved of God. Next we find... There was a charitable concern. There wasn't the mention of the contribution in those things of verse 42. I don't think at this point they needed that yet. Because everybody was just taking care of any need. The the apostles would have needed room and board. Where do you think they got that as they taught? Well, one of the believers gave it to them. If they needed a new coat or new cloak or new sandals, how do you think they got that? It It was supplied. All these brethren who are believing the Lord, who'd come for the Feast of Pentecost, and many would have extended their stay, because why would you want to go home when you're here at this? How did those people get housed and fed and the like? Well, verse 4, all those who believed were together and had all things in common. We have more of this in chapter 4. Well, Ananias and Sapphira try to selfishly take advantage of this in chapter 5. We'll have more of this with even daily feeding of people in chapter 6. We'll have contribution from church to church in different regions in chapter 12. Common charity is one of the great marks of the early church. It has always been a great mark of true Christianity. There has never been an outburst of true Christianity without accompanying charity. It, It goes to the community first, and that is our scriptural mandate but we see over and over and over then it spills into the community generally as the generous spirit of Christians can't be contained. And so we have this charitable care. They began even selling their property and possessions, sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Remembering later, the apostle Paul called us to Jesus's mind, of Jesus's words to mind. He said, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so the church is marked by its true compassionate charity for fellow believers. And then we see that there is a sincere, integral devotion day by day. I don't know how long this lasted. I I think probably this lasted because Pentecost, you know, uh, Passover's in. In the uh, spring, uh, Pentecost is often around the first of summer. I have a feeling this went through the entirety of the summer, probably to the next great feast in the fall. 
that's my guess. But this went on for a while. This went on for, for a ways. Day by day, with one mind. So there's, here's the concern for one another and the concern for God above all things. Breaking bread and from, house, from house to house, taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. So this is not something they did for just a little while. This is something they did for a, uh, for a good bit. And they were really together. They were really together, not just in the times they came to the temple, which seemed especially to have been at the hours of prayer, but they were together regularly. They were together outside the temple. They were sincere in this. They were worshiping in this. It was a purity of conduct and kindness that was unobjectionable to anybody. And the people could see, I think, that God was among them. It wasn't until the rulers said, you know what, this is getting so big it's threatening our place, that the people uh, were attempt- they attempted to turn the people against it. And so we see people living in the good blessings of God in the good way. We see the fruit that God's true instruction always brings. Like Psalm 19, Psalm 19 says this, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. Well, if the law of God rejoiced, enlightened, endured, and made righteous, how much more the gospel of God? And so we see that fruit here. This is exactly what the teaching and practice of the church has always intended to bring. First uh, Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Or Peter would say, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Here were folks doing that. Those born again, not of a seed that's perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. And so we see a sincere, continual devotion. This is what the church looked like in its first days. This is what the church should look like now. The acts of worship given by God, God's approval of it, spoken through his word and given by his action, a common charitable care, and a sincere and continual devotion. And once again, we have to conclude this part of scripture, a statement of God's approval. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here we see back in verse 41 what the believers are being added to. Here in verse 47, they're being added to the company of the saved. You know, this is exactly what Jesus said God wished. This is what God said he desired. John 4, 23 Jesus to the woman at Samaria, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so God seeks people who will act this way. God seeks people who will come to him in this way of spirit and truth. In a couple of chapters, in Acts chapter 8, the apostles are going to take this gospel message to Samaria. And it's going to be received wonderfully and generally. Many people will come. 
so that will be the fulfillment then for the village of Sychar, where the woman at the well was, and those people would now be included in this, worshiping God in the same way, in the same fellowship with these same folks. So what do we conclude? The church in this sense of the fellowship of believers, the communion of those who believe in Christ, this is God's way. This is what God desires. He showed it in the resurrection of Christ, that that Christ was the Messiah. The apostles who were with Christ preached this message to produce this result. As this result was occurring, God was blessing it with both miracles and with growth. He was accepting and he was adding. And so, I think it's quite obvious, wanting to be his disciples today, followers of the apostles' doctrine, we would hold to the same practices, we would do the same things, and we know that these are right. We know that this is good. And what believer wouldn't want to be a part? In Acts 9, the interesting story of the Apostle Paul, well, still then Saul. But Saul came to Jerusalem after he'd been persecuting the church, and the brethren were afraid of him. And it says the most amazing thing in Acts 9, 26, it says, he was trying to associate with the disciples. Well, of course he would. What real believer wouldn't? The problem is they didn't believe he was a real believer until Barnabas went and talked to him and found out that he really was. And they received him gratefully and joyfully. And from the beginning then of their relationship, they helped him and always worked together with him. And so wouldn't we want to do that? As believers joining with the other believers in this kind of fellowship that does this kind of things that we know God approves. All right, with that then we close. Asking you this morning to, if you need to come confess Christ so that you may partake in this, be a part of this fellowship that God has created and ordered and ordained, that God blesses and we know in his word that is right. If you need to come to this and come to Christ, we ask you to come to the invitations we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available online at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.